we began preaching on looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We began to say, labor not for the meat that perisheth, but for the meat that endureth unto eternal life. And then we got to this question of how does the Lord satisfy the soul of the Christian? Are you like these men walking at first in sadness and gloom? Is that your Christianity? Is that your experience of salvation? Is it just a head acceptance and you're now living on the fumes of Christian tradition? Certainly wasn't the experience of these men after they had walked with the Lord and after he had opened their eyes and revealed these things to them. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and today we're looking at that wonderful event where the Lord opened the eyes and understanding of the men on the road to Emmaus and how they had the heartburn, the heartburn of the Lord ministering to their hearts directly. That is how preaching ought to be. That's how ministry of the gospel ought to be. There ought to be such a revealing of Christ that it causes the inner burning of desire after Christ. I pray today that the Lord will work in us and reveal himself afresh. Christ as our prophet is the theme, and we're going to straight now to the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale to let the Bible speak. Where the Lord said, I have manifested thy name. Now, the word manifest nearly means to expound or to set forth. I have set forth thy name. I have made clear to the world thy name. This is now at the close of his ministry. For three years of preaching, what was Jesus doing? Three years of miracles. Three years of discipling his disciples. What was he doing? He was revealing the Father. And in doing that, he was acting in his work as a prophet. Because Jesus said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Now, can you allow me to explain that covenant theology thing again? That's the framework into which all of this fits. And think of it as a, a single pane of glass in a window, but you've got the big frame that you're looking at, and there are other panes of glass and little branches to it. The big frame is the covenant of grace, this agreement between the Father and the Son. And you're saying, show me that in the Bible. Let's go to Isaiah 42 and the verse 1. Isaiah chapter 42 and the verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Now here is the father speaking about his son. He's my elect. He's my chosen one. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And then on down in verse 6. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. I will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people. Covenant theology, covenant gospel, 
Christ is a covenant worker. He is a servant of the Father. He is the chosen, appointed, anointed one to become the prophet, priest, and king of his people. And the Lord Jesus' ministry in fulfilling his obligations as the covenant worker to the Father was to preach. Go to Isaiah 61 and verse 1. Here's a great text concerning the teaching ministry of our Lord Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Here is the ministry of Jesus. And when he became 30 years old and began to preach, this is what he did. He opened the eyes of the blind. He made men to behold the true knowledge of the living God. And oh, he had not only just 12 disciples, there were many. And of course, at Pentecost, the eyes of thousands were opened. The New Testament church was established. Christians were multiplied. Who was doing this? It was Jesus, the prophet of the covenant. How are Christians <coughs> saved today around the world? What is it that maintains the light of the Christian church? It is Christ in his prophetic ministry, teaching, preaching, enlightening, illuminating, giving men new hearts, new minds, new understanding, taking away the scales of their eyes, opening them to the knowledge of the true God. That is the ongoing ministry of the Lord Jesus. And in a world where there's idolatry, we need that. In a world where sons of Adam have lost their ability to know the true God, we need the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And as Paul the Apostle testified in his conversion, the scales of his eyes were taken off. If you're a Christian today, you have experienced that. You can agree with John Newton, once you were blind, but now you see. And the Lord Jesus in his grace and mercy has opened your heart and made you to see. I want you to know that this was not just what Jesus did for three years, but this is his work now. How does he fulfill this work now? By his Spirit. He sends his Spirit. He does so through the preaching of the Word. Wherever this Bible is handled faithfully, you can expect the Lord Jesus to move by his Spirit to enlighten men and bring them to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So that's the revelation of the Father. Then we move to the revelation of our own hearts. He reveals our own hearts. Now, I think of one convert, and it's said of her that the Lord opened her heart. That was Lydia. The Lord has the key to hearts, and he opens the darkened heart. But in doing so, he must show what is in our hearts. And it is that revelation to know that what we are before God is an amazing power and enlightenment. How does the Lord do this? What would the Lord Jesus use to show 
and shine into our hearts what we really are before God. Well, I think God does this, or the Lord Jesus does this, by showing us the Father's glory. And in doing so, simultaneously letting us see just how sinful we are in the sight of a holy God. We know of Abraham that when he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees, he's a very important character in the Bible because he's really the father of the church. When God appeared unto him in Mamre, it says the God of glory appeared unto him. That's Acts 7.1. God appeared unto him in his glory. And it was that glory of God that opened the eyes of Abram and made him a ready and willing disciple of the Lord Jesus. Now, another outstanding character is Moses. And we're told in Hebrews, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, we're also told no man hath seen God and lived. But Moses was given to see much of God's glory at the burning bush. And God told him to take off his shoes for the ground where on your standing is holy ground. And then in the mount where God allowed him to behold the hinder part of his glory. And Moses' face shone. And when he came down among the people, what did he do? He exposed their sin. Another person that stands out is Isaiah. When he beheld the Lord high and lifted up, and he saw the glory and the angels covering their faces with their wings. What did Isaiah pronounce? Woe is me, for I am undone. And he fell on his face. Daniel the same. When men come to behold the glory of God and the Savior, the simultaneous work is done. They learn their own sinful, unworthy condition. And, of course, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And Christ as prophet works by his word and by his spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. And that is his office, his work. And I pray today that you are one who has learned these, well, we'll call it the one twofold lesson, the glory of the Father and the sinfulness of of your own heart. If you've learned those two things, you're ready to come to the cross. You're ready to plead the blood and its cleansing and the victory and triumph of Jesus in his death. And that's what makes you a Christian. Because you're one, you have seen the holiness of God, you've seen the sinfulness of your own heart, and you have pleaded the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. And there's one person you have to thank for that. And that is Christ in his work as prophet. He has shown you these things. Remember when the Lord uh, in his ministry said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast revealed these things unto babes and hidden them from the wise and prudent. This gospel knowledge, this spiritual light, this scales that come off the eyes is not a work of natural learning. Because the most learned worldly man can be the most foolish in spiritual things. And as Jesus said to these two men on the road to a mess, Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe. How many count the things of God foolish? 
and they know the many things of this world, but their eyes have never been opened. If you're a Christian today and you say you're saved and you have come to the knowledge of these things, the one to thank is the great prophet of the covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ who has come to be the Redeemer of his people. Now, is this really satisfying? Well, this is how Jesus satisfies the Christian. The Bible now becomes, it takes on a new light. The scriptures that we have learned and read over and over, and they were dull and dead and meaningless to us, suddenly these scriptures come alive. And the Bible is now a living book. It is a word where the Lord is speaking to my own soul. And the Lord has the power to do that. He is the teacher. And he makes it clear and he makes it exciting to our dull hearts. And you can see these men on the road to Emmaus when their eyes were opened and their hearts were burning. They were in love with the truth. It wasn't just academics. They were fully enjoying this enlightening work of the Lord Jesus. Let me ask you today, can you say that the Bible, the Word of the Lord, its ministry, its, its, its uh, examination, its study, and praying over it, that it, it brings you to satisfaction in your Lord Jesus? If you were to ask these men on the road to Emmaus, only one answer. Oh, my heart is bursting. My heart is thrilled. This is joy, unlike I have never, ever known in my life. And this is how the Lord satisfies the hearts of believers. He feeds them. He's the great shepherd. And he nourishes our hearts on eternal, spiritual, biblical things. And this is the ministry of Christ to the soul through his word. Never, ever miss that part. He does so through the Scriptures, through His Word. That's why we want Bible studies. In the church, we don't want entertainment. In the church, we don't need bowling. We don't need the entertainment of the world in the church. Because those things, they may be draw a bit of attention and be a fad for a while, but they don't satisfy craving hearts for spiritual things. They don't minister to the bereaved and to the one facing death. They don't minister to the one who is longing for communion with a holy God. Those entertainment things do not satisfy the soul. But when you are in the church that believes the book, preaches the word, when you yourself take that word and let it minister to your heart, and you want this heartburn, you want the thrill of being a Christian, you want the joy of living for Jesus, you will find it through the word when Christ opens up the book to your heart. Now, let me say in practical pastoral terms, don't rush home and read your Bible for five minutes and then watch the television the rest of the day and you're going to have this heartburn. No, there is a growth and there is a commitment and there is a godly life that goes along with this heartburn. And when the eyes, the scales are taken off, you have no longer the joy in earthly, worldly things. You find your delight in the Lord. Now, 
In 1 Peter 2, 9, this is called marvelous light, this light that Jesus brings his people into. Let's turn to that passage, please. 1 Timothy, or sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Marvelous light. Now, that word marvelous caught my eye. What does it mean? What kind of light is this? What makes it so marvelous? Well, it's soul thrilling. It's, a, it's a, an experience that is not worldly. It's not carnal. It is rather spiritual. Now, the context of this text, verse 9, you'll notice that it says in verse 7, unto you which believe, he is precious. Through faith in the Lord Jesus, he becomes precious to us. But unto them which be disobedient, that is, those who will not believe, those who will not rejoice in the Lord Jesus, it becomes a stone of stumbling. And they say, ah, oh, there's nothing in that. There's nothing in Christianity. There's nothing in the Bible. There's nothing in the gospel. It doesn't touch my heart. I need something else. And people stumble at that stone. And then he goes on to say, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. There's worshipers for you, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, you'll notice it's his marvelous light. We are led into the light in which Jesus dwells. It is his light. And you'll notice that it is he that calls us into it. All out of First Peter 2, verse 9. It's the light of Jesus. It's he that brings us into it. And therefore, it's his work as the prophet, the teacher of his people. And this is what satisfies our souls. This is what thrills our hearts. This is what causes us to praise him and to live in the joy and the blessedness of the Lord Jesus. You see, the church is a called out people. The church is not to be a worldly people. We are a royal priesthood. We are worshipers of the Lord Jesus. And our prayer is, Lord, give me your light. Give me more of your light. Let me walk in your light. Let me bask in your light. And the other thing to rejoice in, it's a growing light. The Proverbs tells us that the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Now, the light that we have right now is so very little, and we each need to grow in it. And this is the thrilling thing, because there's none of us here today that can say, I have all that Jesus has for me. I have already experienced it all. There's nothing more to enjoy. No, we're just at the edge of the ocean. We're just beginning to experience the divine, infinite fullness that is in the Lord Jesus, because he is a fountain of life. That's what the psalmist said, Psalm 36, 9. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. And it gets better and better and better. By the way, that word, fountain of life, that's the title of a book by a Puritan called John Flavel. 
you have ever opportunity to pick up that book called Fountain of Life, you will learn some of these great doctrines of the ministry of Jesus to his church. Now, we must never stop growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And as we enjoy more and more light, we enjoy more and more of the peace, the joy, the satisfaction of the Lord in our lives. Now, I have been a Christian for over 40 years, and the Lord Jesus is still thrilling my heart. When I was newly ordained at the age of 25, I remember meeting a Christian who didn't go to that church, but a neighboring church, and uh, he was already 60 years walking the Christian life. And that man was bubbling over with the joy of the Lord. You could just tell. You couldn't spend a moment in his presence without knowing that he enjoyed the blessedness of the Lord in his life. Sixty years! He's now in glory. You just think of the blessedness that he's now enjoying. The light, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus in that land where we will bask in eternal light. Light that will never dim. What we have today as believers in Christ is just the beginning, the little flicker of light, and it gives us a heartburn, and it ought to give us a yearning for more. Lord, teach me more. Lead me deeper in the book. Give me an understanding of these scriptures. And as you do grow, and as your heart does burn, what will you do? You will take this book and you'll pray, now, Lord, speak to me. Let this word live to me. Let your voice be heard in my soul as I read the Scriptures and meditate upon them. And all the blessedness that comes into your heart, because this is now feeding on the living Word, and the light of Jesus shines brighter and brighter into your soul. Well, I'm going to have to close. I think Jeremy's stolen the rest of my sermon. So I'm going to have to close here and make this the end of the message today. But you come back next Sunday morning for Christ, who is the priest. And then the next week, Christ is the king who rules and reigns in our The Bible is clear on the existence of human life in the womb. Science is also clear that life takes place in the womb at the point of fertilization. And I have a few quotes here from Princeton Education Pro-Life articles. Almost all higher animals start their lives from a single cell, the fertilized ovum. The time of fertilization represents the starting point in the life history or ontogony of the individual. Although life is a continuous process, fertilization is a critical landmark because under ordinary circumstances, a new genetically distinct human organism is thereby formed. The combination of 23 chromosomes pre present in each pronucleus results in 46 chromosomes in the zygote. Thus, the diploid number is restored, and the embryonic genome is formed. The embryo now exists 
as a genetic unity. Now, that's the science behind it all. And the Bible speaks of the child in the womb as of full human value. In Exodus 21:22, we read that if men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according to the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any mischief follow, meaning the child dies, then thou shalt give life for life. Our Canadian judge could not identify the moment of the gestational spectrum when a fetus becomes a body of a child. Let him read the Bible. Exodus 21 or Psalm 139 will do it. It is never right to take life out of convenience to cover up wrong choices. I read a pro-life poster saying, Abortion has never been about choice. It's about escaping the consequences of your choices by taking all choices away from another human being. The problem is that two wrongs do not make a right. And so it is best to face the sin that led to the creation of the unwanted pregnancy and do the right thing by supporting the life that is in the womb. In this society, there is no such thing as an unwanted child, as there are thousands on long lists waiting to adopt a child into loving and caring families. If your circumstances do not allow you to keep the child in your womb, then allow some couple to be parents to the child you may not be able to keep. Lastly, let me say that there is mercy with God for those who come to see the crime of their previous abortion, and many do. Guilt is a terrible thing to live with, and guilt always catches up with anyone who chooses abortion. That life you carried in the womb is a fact, and an eternal fact, that that child was created in the image of God. And only the blood of Jesus can cleanse you from the sin of killing that child in the womb. Praise God, there is mercy for you through repentance unto life. The Lord Jesus said, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven you. But until you acknowledge that abortion is sin and confess it to the Lord, you will carry that load of guilt to your grave and on into eternity. How shall you do at the judgment seat of Christ? Today the Lord says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But without repentance on the judgment day, he will say, Depart from me, ye cursed. I trust that you will choose life, not only for your infant in the womb, but life for your soul by turning to Christ as your Savior who can save you from all sin. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
tbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast, and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music.